Welcome to the Golf Social Podcast, where I, Toby Lodi, and Michael Tilcock share the stories of people who love golf so that we can inspire more people to play the game that we love, for better or worse. Please give us a follow on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Golf Social TV. We hope you enjoy. In this episode of Golf Social, we speak to Daniel Nakwi. You may remember that the tagline of Golf Social is telling the stories of people who love golf. Well, Daniel fits the bill incredibly well. Daniel is a competitive amateur golfer based in Kent. In the 2022 season, Daniel played 151 rounds and carded 141 of them. Many of these rounds were in competitive open conditions around the country at top 100 golf courses. Daniel loves open golf so much that he even learned to code a web app so that he could better track the best opens, how and when to sign up to them. Daniel confesses he is married to the game. So we should have an interesting conversation. Welcome, Daniel. How are you doing? Thanks, Michael. Really, uh, really happy to be here. Um, I think that intro properly fits the bill for me. Um, so yeah, looking forward to our, uh, our conversation. All right, awesome. And whereabouts are you? Because that looks like quite a professional background. Yeah, currently at the at work. Um, uh, so yeah, in a kind of focus cubby hole room away from people still working in the office so um yeah thought i'd hide myself away for this uh this little session i will note this is after 6 p.m just in case you know bosses are watching or whatever so pretty legit if you ask me still in the office burning the midnight oil so daniel we're going to get straight into it and as is customary with the golf social podcast we're going to open up with our par breakers so you can have 60 seconds to answer these as quickly as possible First question, what is your home club? So, uh, home club is Littlestone down in Kent. What is your handicap? Uh, 1.4 currently. What is your favourite golf course? My favourite golf course has got to be Danton up in North Yorkshire. What is your bucket list golf course you'd like to play? I may get to play it this year, so it may not be on the bucket list anymore, but uh, the old course in Andrews and played. Um, oh, fabulous. So, I uh, would love to love to get a knock round there. And name your perfect four ball. So I think Luke Donald, uh, because he uh, is very much someone who is like small stature, someone who I like growing up thought I could like kind of replicate good short game, that sort of thing, doesn't it? Ball a long way. Um, probably uh, Tiger Woods, I think is probably in most people's four balls. Um, and I'd probably have like someone like David Attenborough or something in my football <laughs> as well, just to add a bit of uh, class to the affair. Um, um, I'd like to see him swing a golf club as well. That'd be quite quite cool. I'm sure you'd let him use a buggy as well. We'd, we'd certainly allow um, so David Attenborough to use a buggy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Well, I've not uh, been up to Ganton and played it, but obviously it's got a great reputation and I do actually have a reciprocal there. So I'm hoping to... Um, play some courses in the north what made you, you do. yeah well what made you choose that one as your favorite so a friend of mine uh is a member and we went up there last year as part of my 151 rounds i had two of them at ganton and the first time i went there kind of fell in love with the, the place uh just the kind of practice facilities the course um and uh, just trying to um, like really under like kind of understand the history behind the Ryder Cup there. But really quite at home at that golf club, so that I'd say would be the kind of main reason why uh, I kind of love it so much. Um, so yeah, I think that that probably sums it up. All right, awesome. So I've kind of presented you as a massive golf keynote, particularly on the kind of open side of of golf. Um, but let's start from the beginning. So just for our listeners who, who maybe haven't heard of you or come across your Instagram or anything like that, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you got into golf and, and what you're doing with your golf at the moment and maybe how, how you have enough time on your hands to get 151 rounds in last year. Well, I certainly now don't have the time to play 151 rounds, although we'll play try and play quite a few Opens this year uh, to make up for it. So... 
I started golf, I'm 25 currently, started golf at uh, age of seven, so I've been playing for 18 years now, um, and grew up in a golf course called Shooter's Hill, and um, my dad was kind of junior organiser at the time, and we've kind of had a lot of people that's come through um, that kind of junior system, so we had like Alfie Plant, who's a Challenge Tour player now, uh, we've had like Jack Bado, who's a kind of golf, uh, golf college coach, um, and kind of various others, Kevin O'Connell, who's a coach at, um, at Purley Downs in, in Surrey. Um, so we kind of had various like quite success with, um, with kind of high amateur, high, high level amateur and professional golf now. Um, so I kind of was like around the time when, you know, she was kind of winning everything in Kent and uh, got to kind of learn um, about the game from there. Um, and since then, we've kind of always been members of golf courses in Kent. So it's a member of uh, Rochester and Cobham for about 10, 12 years um, and played a majority of my adolescence golf at Sid Cup Golf Club, a uh, little nine holer in kind of suburban uh, London, bordering Kent. Um, fantastic little track to kind of uh, whip around on um, and, and learn the game, really. And we had a kind of good junior career there as well. Um, and then later on, we kind of moved down further towards Canterbury and I joined Canterbury for a couple of years. Uh, and in April 21, I joined uh, Little Slipstone. So so I, it's kind of been, um, I've always wanted to be a member of Link's course and the opportunity came up to join Littlestone and I just really had to kind of take it. So I, um, I think goal for me um, of where I've kind of come from has always been a good part, a great part of my life. I did kind of give it up for a little bit between primary and secondary school, just really kind of didn't know why I was playing a, a game, kind of maybe had a lot of more pressure on the kind of under 10 scene in Kent and in, in the country, and then didn't really like enjoy it so much, so kind of fell out of it. But luckily I picked it back up again uh, when I was kind of 13, 14. So, um, and to answer your question about um, uh, why I had the time to play golf, uh, loads of golf last year, is I was studying for a PhD in uh, in Manchester um, and I was due to actually go over to Melbourne as part of it and we can maybe get into one of the things that I did as a result of um, uh, uh, of thinking I was going to Melbourne and then ended up not really enjoying it um, and actually part of the reason I think I played so much golf was me kind of part, partly rebelling from doing the PhD because I just really wasn't enjoying it so much. So I uh, ended up dropping out of that in kind of July 2022 and starting this job in October 22. So that kind of 151 rounds is really from the start of January 22 to about the 8th of October and 141 of them are carded as kind of Michael said earlier. Um, so I think probably answers your kind of initial question and probably opens up more avenues for discussion as well. Yeah, talk to me about the PhD. Firstly, I'm always fascinated by the super specific topics people do PhDs on, but what was your experience of it and how come you decided to to move on from it and go into the world of work slash full-time amateur golf for, for a while as well? Yeah, so I think kind of fairly ambitious person, kind of always want to see some sort of kind of direction for where I'm going, what I'm doing. And I kind of, the academic space, uh, while I was good at research and kind of writing and academic writing, I never really saw myself as becoming an academic. And it became clearer and clearer that doing a PhD kind of led to that. Um, and there wasn't any real alternative, um, especially in kind of like the area that I was doing it. And I kind of wanted to like make it a little bit more than just the academic side. Uh, and I ended up probably um, neglecting some of that more deeper academics uh, it, richness so I uh, I was doing my PhD on kind of urban transport um, uh, in comparisons between Greater Manchester and Melbourne specifically around like sustainability and digital and kind of micro mobility which is like active travel but like e-scooters as well the walking cycling e-scooters so it was kind of really super specific and it was something I was really interested in I still am really interested in topics I just wasn't so keen on the actual process of the PhD at that time so might be something I revisit in the future, but um, very glad I kind of took the step to uh, to join the world of work, um, and at the moment still have the enthusiasm for work. So uh, we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> uh, well, I survived about eight years uh, before I resigned, but um, I 
think because we I didn't mention in the intro, but we played golf at Littlestone together, which is which is how we met initially. Um, and you mentioned that you I, I I don't know if this is okay to say, but I've cut it if not. But you mentioned for, you work for the civil service, and I think you are putting some of that interest in the, the travel kind of sector um, or public transport sector to to good use. Is that right? Yeah, so yeah, I work in the civil service um, and um, uh, yeah, I work in the kind of transport space. So um, yeah, kind of very much related um, and kind of still ca carry on that, carrying on that ambition. Um, so it's been like a really interesting journey to learn about how things work from kind of inside of government, uh, but also just to try and uh, give myself a bit more of a, an idea really about kind of where I'd want to go for the future of my career. And I think reflecting back on doing the PhD and staying in the PhD, yes, it would have been nice to go to Melbourne, play Royal Melbourne, um, play Kicks and Heath, all the courses out there while studying in Melbourne. But also like, I think the decision to come over now when it's really exciting, loads of things going on, means that I kind of get that different immersion and see things a bit differently. So um, definitely kind of, really happy with the decision I made and although I do you know when I see people out in Australia in Melbourne in kind of Adelaide playing golf it does make me think maybe I should have stuck it out um but uh, I, I soon bring myself back to reality um and I think I'm, I'm pretty happy with where I am now cool so you you mentioned Shooter's Hill I've actually played Shooter's Hill a few times because when I was living in Brixton in probably fourth or fifth year in London that was one of the courses that you could drive to quite easily um and so interesting randomly mm. that, that you grew up playing there um and you mentioned you, the role that your dad had as as many people who get into golf often it is through dad or granddad or mum or sort of granny um is he still playing and like what kind of level player is he is he just a as a golf lover what what kind of role did he play so i think he kind of like doesn't play as much anymore he'll go out for like nine holes here there and everywhere but i wouldn't like you know like where even when we're going to go away he's like you know can we play like nine holes like he's not really too kind of interested in playing 18 holes anymore um up until about 2015 2016 he was playing club champs um but he just yeah doesn't really kind of have the love for it as much anymore he's a good player he plays off about um single figures nine if he kind of gets it going um but he he kind of has the tendency to to hit the ball a little bit bit bright off the hosel at times so um <laughs> so yeah he's uh he's a bit of a hit and miss golfer at the moment but uh he came to watch me for the first time i think in in years actually to see me play at uh, ross and george's in january the final round of the hinge trophy so it was quite nice to see him there and um I think he thought I was going to be a lot worse than I actually was, which was quite uh, quite funny. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he he he. I think he's had such a great influence on on so many people's lives um, in terms of golf. He was junior organizer at Shooters Hill, and then he was junior organizer at Sid Cup as well. Um, just getting people into the game and getting them to love it as much as as much as he does um, deep down inside. So um, <laughs> yeah, I think not just myself, but I think a lot of people have something to thank for my my dad and the efforts he's gone to. So get the juniors all interested in doing something cool in the game good man and you you will lead to playing at Ross at st george's um so let's talk a little bit about opens um as i said in in my intro you you play a lot of open golf you're pretty passionate about it it's it's one of the ways you really enjoy playing the game you've even uh started a a kind of relatively at the moment small scale web app which you've just shared with some some golf mates uh, around how to to find these opens to play in but just generally for people who aren't familiar with the concepts of an open um firstly what is an open and like how do you how do you get into these opens sure so so opens i think like so i think the kind of context for why i love opens so much is that um you know my family's kind of you know fairly kind of well off but like we're not kind of um you know, we're not rolling in money um, and golf for us is kind of like a something that we like to do it's a pastime but we also don't like to do things that break the bank and obviously golf is something that you can spend a lot of money you know playing um, 
And I think opens for me epitomise the fact that you don't have to spend loads of money to play golf. Um, so like when people say to me, oh, I'm going to pay like £250 to go play Ross and George's, um, I always think like there's there's got to be another way if you want to play them. Obviously, if you want to play them really badly and you want to play them like right now, the only way probably is to pay that £250. But the majority of places, like top 100s and not top 100s, there are like other ways for you to play those courses and those are through open competitions. So essentially the history of them, I'm not like completely okay about like how um, they came about, but I think the first open was the boys medal at Royal Blackheath in like 1608, I think before the actual open championship as it were. Um, and that was for kind of boys to from other clubs to come and play Royal Blackheath um, and um, as a kind of way to like extend an olive branch to potentially like like either poorer or kind of other like neighborhoods um, to kind of say come and come and show us your stuff and if you want to come and play golf and I think that kind of tradition is stuck um, you'll note obviously because of the, the Open Championship the Open is technically open to any golfer um, of course, there are kind of restrictions and handicap limits and such, but you don't have to have, be a professional to play in the Open. Um, anyone can qualify as long as they meet those kind of uh, initial requirements for regional qualifying. So it's based on that kind of concept that, you know, one time in a year for some clubs or multiple times in a year for, for other clubs, you're welcomed from an external place. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to pay like any sort of kind of extra fee but you just pay a competition entry fee. And those are from a range of about, you know, sometimes as low as 10, 15%, um, and sometimes as high as kind of 90% discount from what you would pay as a visitor if you rocked up um, and just looked for a game on a kind of Friday or Sunday morning or even a Saturday morning or something like that. So they're, they're basically cheap ways to play golf courses around the country. The UK has got the or should I say England, Scotland, Wales have got like the best kind of network of these. Uh, Ireland is slightly different context because they've got a kind of golf union of Ireland and they've got their own kind of things like that, which you have to be a member of the golf union of, of Ireland to play. Um, and the rest of the world is a little bit scattered. It's a little bit more towards the elite amateur. But broadly speaking, England, Wales and Scotland, if you hold a handicap, um, generally speaking, either a member of a club although there are some like iGolf stuff now as well. Um, and you meet the requirements, which don't range from like kind of scratch golfers or plus golfers all the way up to like 18, 28 handicappers, depending on the type of event you play. And you can play these events, play these places with food ultimately a lot of the time to kind of um, play them for, for cheaper. So for example, um, the kind of, just to give an example of some of the opens I played last year, I played um, at kind of Beaudesert for £59 for two rounds and food included, um, which I think normally would cost you about £200 or something like that. So it's about £150 reduction. Um, played places like St Anne's Old Links for, for about £70 and that would have cost you about £200. Conway for £50 for two rounds. Um, Senna Dock for 65, I think it was, and I think that would for two rounds, and that would usually cost you in about 300, excess of 300 pounds. Um, Porth Call I played this year for 90 pounds in a four in a, in a team of four event, and that would with food, and that would set you back much much more. So, just a few examples there of like kind of like the cost reductions um, and the fact that you don't have to be a scratch golfer or a really low handicap to play in them. Of course, some of the events that are at the best clubs um, or kind of like the, the kind of highest rated clubs will kind of ballot. And what that means is essentially that they um, there's more entrants than there are in, um, in a kind of uh, availability. So the demand is higher than the supply and therefore they'll do a handicap cutoff at the kind of highest points that they have entrance for. So if they have like Let's say, for example, you get 100 entries and they have 70 spots. Whoever is 71st in their handicap index will be at 71st up to 100th will be will be cut um, before the draw is made um, to uh, to make sure they have what they what they can um, uh, supply for. So um, yeah, you'll get like 
places like I just got balloted out of uh, the Duncan Putter at Southern Down in Easter weekend, and that ballot was plus 0.3. Um, so they got loads and loads of entries, and the highest handicap that they could accept was plus 0.3, which is kind of crazy. Um, uh, but not every event's like that. Some events don't ballot, some are first come, first serve. Um, and, and, you know, as Michael mentioned, uh, I've kind of developed a bit of a web app that shows you all of that information as well. So we can talk about a little bit about that later. Well, that's a great answer. I can see why you made the web app because you, you obviously really know your, your stuff on this. Um, I'm curious because when I played with you, um, you're, I think you said you're plus 1.3 or 4 or something like that. What, yeah, 1.4. Yeah, not plus. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, one one point three. Uh, sorry, one point four. Um, but but I've played with my a fair, fair fair share of sort of scratch golfers and and plus handicap golfers over the years. And then I said to this said to you when we played that I thought you were a bit of a bandit off off one point um one point four. And and you said to me, well, I probably got the most accurate handicap in the whole of England because I put in one hundred and forty one cards in about nine months. Which is, a, which is a fair point, but actually it kind of highlights the fact that, especially since the new handicap system came into play, as well as this rule where you can put in general play cards, uh, which if people don't know, you can bait, as long as someone marks your card, you can put in a card that counts for your handicap outside of a competition. It seems like there's been a bit of handicap inflation whereby you get scratch and plus one players who you'll, you'll often see them you know, more often than not shooting seven, eight, nine over par. Do you find it frustrating not getting into some of these open competitions when I would imagine you would certainly get in the in the field on a on a pure playing ability, but maybe not not reflected in the handicap system? Um so my hundred and forty one rounds uh last year that were carded. Um probably about i don't I haven't done the statistics but it's probably around 50 percent of those are general play maybe a bit more um and that's because i played like so many different golf courses last year and i put in a card literally every time i played so i did the system as it was kind of asked for now because of kind of um i won't go into it in in great detail because it's kind of an ongoing issue it's almost like talking about an ongoing investigation um <laughs> It's an ongoing issue, but there, there is there has been something that has meant that I can't put general play rounds in at the moment, um, even if I want to, um, to kind of reflect my handicap ability, because the competition requires no general plays in your top eight. Um, in my top eight of my handicap at the moment, I've got five. And to get rid of those, I'd have to play about 10 or nine competitions. Um, and I don't think it's possible for me to do that before the end of the closing day. So an exclusive for your podcast is I'm going to just start putting general plays in again, um, because uh, I have not played well in the last three rounds or three, four rounds of competitions I've played because this has kind of been on the back of my mind. So I'm kind of going to give up on playing that competition as much as I would love to playing it. Um, and uh, as much as I feel like I deserve to play in it based on my performances at um, kind of previous tournaments, uh, for that kind of federation um, and feel like, you know, it'd be a bit of a kind of loss to the field if I wasn't there because I feel like I can compete against some of the best um, in, 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 in that federation. So um, I think it is annoying that people misuse the system and therefore there are uh, things that kind of uh, federations do to impose um, limits on how many general plays you can have or kind of the quantity of you can have and, and how different they can be from your competition round. Um, for people like me who have done the system as kind of like to the T, I probably have had the most accurate handicap in England in 2022 because of what I kind of did, um, partly thanks to the PhD and otherwise. Um, so yeah, it's kind of super annoying when people kind of are much lower than they should be because they've kind of put in handicaps uh, scores of like 63 when they've never shot around lower than 70 um, and similarly for the club golfer um, who you know people put in rounds when they shoot like 100 um, and that puts their handicap up so they can win net events or, or Salesford and like I'll stress that it sh probably is the minority but it's been easier to do because of this global handicap system that we got introduced 
um and it does mean that like making ballots is basically like really hard now um so for example that kind of duncan puzzle i was just talking about there was nothing on their kind of rules that said that, that you could have any general plays in your top eight so you know i don't know what the field's going to look like they've got a hundred people in the field which is quite a big field um so there's a hundred people in who entered who are better than plus 0.3 which is kind of wild to me that they'd all want to kind of play on that easter weekend which is obviously a religious holiday as well and people people might want to celebrate with families or you know bank holidays or whatever so it it kind of quite quite wild to think that there are kind of that many golfers who would want to play that event who are better than plus 0.3 um and it will be interesting to see when the scores come out um how kind of accurate uh that is if it yeah, they'll all be in the seventies, no doubt, or sixties. I mean, as you as you mentioned, it it in fact it, it sort of affects the club game as well as the sort of competitive amateur scene because sort of the opposite problem where handicaps are often too high for many people, and it's very easy to game the system and, and basically cheat. Um, and every club will have a number of people who are known to be better than their handicap. Um, and and nothing seemingly ever happens uh, to kind of remedy that. But it but it's a very complex issue, right? Um, because firstly, it's difficult to prove, and secondly, like we want more people to play golf, um, and we don't want to kind of put people off by making it too officious. So, um, not an easy one to solve for the powers that be. No, certainly not. I I completely agree with you. I think there's a I think there's a there's a balance to be struck, and and you know someone kind of. You know, there's, as, as you know, kind of Michael, there's a kind of group chat for this opens. And I think someone posted in a question about whether people agree that there should be kind of general play kind of restrictions or not. Um, and then they kind of privately messaged me after and said, oh, I thought there was consensus on this. And I kind of, kind of you know, in, in, broadly in life, there's not that much consensus on many things that we do. But in golf, and especially when you talk about things like rolling back the ball and and, and other things like that, like everyone's got different opinions. And I think the problem with the handicaps system is that there are, there was like a, a way to do it. But like people, a lot of people who've been playing golf a longer time and played under Kongu, like don't know how to play that system. And they're not happy to go out and like card every round they play. Um, and I think that's a culture shift. And I think the fact that the WHS is really, really new in the kind of context, like I've been playing golf 18 years and it's, been here for like not even like a tenth or just under a, just over a tenth of my kind of my golfing career and so to kind of think that things are going to happen immediately like there was going to always going to be a settling and I think I think kind of restrictions on general plays are it's like a knee-jerk reaction I don't think I think they're they're a plaster to fix a for to fix a gushing hole um and I think there will have to be more calculated decisions that are taken um and i think yeah like you say it's a very complex problem um uh that i've certainly got views on but i think others will have different views and i think it's about not just listening to that complexity and that diversity but also just doing something that's good for the game um and like you say we want more people to play golf we need we need more people to play golf for kind of the future of the game um because we're all going to get old and um, and dusty at some point and um, probably saying that golf was better in the old days back in Congo uh, if we're not already saying that so I think we've got to recognize that WHS is probably really good for the game and if you want to go and play another course and put a card in like that goes from the record and you're able to kind of flex that to other people but also it's a great memory to have and if we want to get more people in the game that's something that they're going to buy into as well um, so yeah couldn't agree more that it's a really complex issue but I think um, some decisions going to have to come at some point otherwise we're going to get really kind of fragmented and um it's going to be actually really hard for more of the kind of competitive golfers and the elite golfers um um to to plan their schedules for the year which has been really hard for me personally this year as well yeah no absolutely yeah okay cool well i want to talk a little bit more about um the competitive amateur scene so um, and when i say competitive i suppose i'm talking about these competitions that there is a ballot for and typically your handicaps will be sort of maybe three four or, or under um so you actually had a win on the sort of uh amateur circuit if you like not that it's a, a formal circuit but 
a, a decent level amateur condition at St. Enadoc. So can you talk to me a little bit about what, what it's like when you turn up to one of these open? What's the feeling? Is, are people sizing each other up? Are, when you, you're playing in a group, are people friendly? How competitive does it feel? And also a little bit about your win at St. Enadoc and, and what, what that was like. Yeah, sure. So so I think it's probably a good point now to like talk a little bit about my mindset to golf. Um, and especially last year, and this is actually like really interesting timing for the podcast because I've obviously been not on a great run of form recently since we kind of played uh, at Littlestone a couple of weeks ago. I've kind of shot like two rounds in the 80s at Rye last weekend, uh, kind of just kind of questioning a lot of like, should I still do these these competitions or should I just do general plays? And obviously you've kind of heard my kind of decision on that now. Um, and especially like this transition year for myself, like moving into work, but also not having the time to kind of play every day and on the weekends really just going back to kind of my three rules. So my three rules for golf are to enjoy every day like it's like a every round like it's a once in a million chance because it really is a privilege to play golf I, I think this is something that we really kind of take for granted quite a lot you know being able to play some of the best golf courses in the world or to be able to shoot some of the lowest scores it's a privilege to play golf it does price people out it shouldn't but it does um and i i firmly believe you can play golf on the cheap but um that's not like i'm not kind of sitting on my soapbox uh, or standing on my soapbox kind of doing that um, and saying that and showing kind of people how to do that um, although I have done through the kind of opens app um, and otherwise um, so I think because golf does price people out we do have to remember that it's an absolute privilege to play golf um, so treating everything like a once in a million chance to be there perform but also just to enjoy myself is like really kind of something that's critical to what I'd say is um important for my game and my my levels of happiness so that would be the first thing the second is to enjoy company so golf is obviously a really like long time you spend four hours with someone or people on the golf course and me and michael hadn't met before um uh, before we played at little stone so we had actually kind of nothing no idea what to expect um from each other apart from the fact that we we're kind of part of these kind of golf networks that we can kind of talk about a little bit later um but yeah like enjoying people's company finding something interesting about because there's all i think there's always something interesting about everyone um and even if you don't agree you don't have to like agree you just have to kind of like find a way to make the conversation interesting and obviously golf's a great place to start um and then third thing is related to the competitive aspect so it's to kind of i kind of i've added a bit to it now but it used to be kind of just never give up but i've added like commit to every shot so if I commit to every shot and then I never get up, give up, I probably have no reason to think that I didn't do myself uh, uh, justice on the course. And so I've kind of tried to add that in like, this year, but it's been a bit hard to actually like do in practice. So I might try and do some things to work on that. Um, but the reason why that's important before I kind of go into like how opens kind of work when you're there is because people play golf in general for different reasons. I love competitive golf. I love to meet new people. Um, and I love to share stories about the game um, and where we've all been and how we've kind of come into it. Uh, and that's why I think this podcast is, is really awesome um, to, to be able to share those. Um, people, other people play golf purely for social. Other people play golf purely for, for competitive. Some people play golf because they've got nothing else to do. Some people play golf because they've always done it, you know, those sorts of things. So we've all got different levels of why we play golf. And I think that comes out more so in an open than anywhere else. So you've got the people who are sizing everyone up, the competitive, the people who are there drilling on the on, on the putting green and on the range and doing their routine like an hour and a half before like the tour pros do. You've got the people who like turn up, barely know where they are, have booked them in for like five, five opens on the same day, have decided which one they wanted to turn up to, put the tee in the ground and get on with it. And then you've kind of got me in the middle who kind of wants to do well, but also have no expectation to play well. Like I've got, like the way that I was and a way I want to kind of get myself back to this year is just going out there and keeping to those three standards about kind of enjoyment, company and uh, kind of resilience. I don't really care like how I play. And that's been like a kind of ambivalent mindset that's allowed me to kind of actually get quite a lot of success. I think that's related to my personality where I've actually kind of have a fairly unhealthy relationship with expectations 
um, something I'm kind of currently internally thinking about and thinking about how to improve my own personal, professional and, and golf life as well. But I think, some, you know, if, if you are someone who's kind of competitive, you'll find your group of people. If you are someone who's kind of laid back, you'll find your group of people. The way it works typically with opens is you'll be drawn by the club, so you won't typically know the people that you're playing with. And that's really a lucky dip. You can like get some really kind of interesting people, um, some people you'll never want to see in, in the rest of your life, some people who could become great friends. A lot of my friends that I speak to now on a regular basis, I met at opens. Um, and a lot of my golf network is actually from people who I met at opens as well. Um, so I think like, it depends what you want to put into it. Obviously I kind of index for company. So that's something I care about like more than anything, even if I kind of don't want to ever see this person again, I want to try and enjoy the time, you know, oftentimes eight hours in a day, eight, 10 hours on a day, in a day to kind of just actually like make it bear as bearable as possible. Um, and, you know, you get there, they sign you in, you can like do some practice beforehand, you get on the first tee um, and you kind of knock it around. They do sometimes allow you to have practice rounds. Uh, they sometimes are free or they do sometimes uh, cost. I rarely play a practice round. Um, I'll only play a practice round if it's free, um, partly because of the cost point, uh, but also because of that kind of unhealthy relationship with expectations. If I play around, um, I'll think that I know where I need to hit it and actually that will set a full sense of like security that I actually know what I'm doing. I actually play best on courses I've never seen before because I just play within myself instead of playing kind of so I'll buy a course guide and stuff before I start just to see where all the danger is but I'm fairly straight off the tee so like kind of hitting it high right or low left and those sorts of things don't really come into the equation for me so I can really just turn up at any golf course and, and kind of play um, um, kind of within myself. Um, so, so that's kind of, I think, the open stuff. And I guess just to talk about St. Anadoc, um, St. Anadoc was kind of my, my, I guess, my breakout win, um, as you can call it that. I'd played up to that point like 20 or 19 opens or something like that. I'd played um, in that, so it was on like the 4th of September, I think. And in that, well, from the 1st of September, I played a 36-hole open at Purley Downs. Then I played 18 holes at Uphaven. 18 holes at Perrinport and then 36 at Senena Dock. So it was coming off the back of like a lot of driving and a lot of golf. And that's something that was fairly typical at that time. I actually did three 36 hole opens in a row in May, which was uh, a lot of fun. Um, and I'm doing it again this year, but at three different courses. So I'm very excited for that. Um, but the Senena Dock, like it was, it was a group of us from the RAC DG, if anyone's kind of come across it before. Um, we all kind of went down, um, played Perrinport together and then kind of stayed in a villa in Rock um, and played Senator Dock. So I actually ended up playing with two of my kind of friends from there. And it was like the most horrid day that you can think of. It was a lot better than it was at Perrinport, which was even worse. It was a really horrid day, lots of rain, lots of wind, um, like a five, a, a four, four, four or five club winds at times. Couldn't get to fairways on certain holes. Um, and those are the conditions where I actually play the best because even the big hitters can't reach the green in two. So I can play kind of short and, and patty golf and actually end up like beating most of the field. So I ended up winning on count back. Wasn't expecting it. Kind of got quite emotional at the time with all kind of my friends around. Um, and I think they were all kind of rooting for me because I played so many opens that year, but I was never really expecting myself to win one. I don't really set any targets or goals. Um, and I think actually winning that's probably like been to my detriment in, in a way because I've started to set these kind of expectations for what I think I should do um, and I should really actually just go back to how I won that in the first place which was having no expectations going out there enjoying company enjoying the course and just seeing where it gets me so um, that's kind of a whistle-stop tour of what's going on in my head at the moment with mindset but also a little bit about opens as well awesome well congratulations on your breakout win um, I haven't managed to play St. Anna Dock yet but it's one of the higher rated courses that i've not got round to so i'd love to get down to Colmore. yes you should. certainly should all right so um you kind of alluded to something called i think was it the racdg or something but not specifically on that but yep but generally uh, me and toby because toby also from co-host on the podcast played with you at little stone 
we both kind of observed what a great golf network you seem to have and you seem to know somebody who, who kind of plays everywhere which is also a great way to to play new courses if you can get hosted as a, as a guest um can you talk a little bit about the the value of building a golf network um and how you've managed to to get to know different people around the country sure so my golf network really started with playing opens so I didn't really know anyone of too much note before I started playing Open. So one of the first Opens I actually remember playing was at Royal Dornock. Um, and uh, it was part of a family trip up to Inverness. Um, and I played with Guy, who was a member of some course in Edinburgh. I can't remember, Ladybank maybe. Um, and I played with this guy who was a member at Cruden Bay. And that guy since has actually helped out a lot of members in that kind of RACDG and other networks kind of play Cruden Bay for a lot cheaper. I'm not actually personally played it myself. I'm hoping to play it later on this year. It kind of really started from there and I realized that like there are other people who are members of like great courses around the country who um, would like once you played like two rounds of golf with them, they'd more than happily host you back um, if you're kind of a... Uh, amenable person and someone you kind of get along with most people which i would say i probably am so it really started from opens a lot of kind of people i know are from opens and the way i got into the racdg so the racdg is stands for the royal and ancient company of dishonorable golfers um it was set up by a guy called crawford um and it's i think probably about a thousand people around the world are a part of it um, at least 350 in um, England, Scotland, Wales, and then another contingent in Ireland, some in Australia, the co European continent, and then a whole host of them up in, um, in the US um, and North America. So the way I got into that was I actually played with, I want to say he was the captain at the time of the, the RACDG, a guy called Matt Wade. Um, at the Gog Magog Open, um, which was held, I think it was July 2021. And uh, he kind of told me about this group of like guys who kind of talk about golf and host each other at courses. Not everyone's like a member of like a really top course, but like everyone's like really interested in golf and kind of levels of golf perversion uh, is kind of required to play. And so like, I kind of like that kind of entry criteria was mostly to do with <laughs> opens but country memberships i know a lot about and, and otherwise um so i kind of got into that and kind of got involved with like you know some of the kind of activities were going on there and then i think from there like different groups emerged like the england golf collective which is like barry um henry craig alex um they'll kind of who are like top 100 clubs there's like a number of them that kind of have kind of come from people's desire to wanting to play like some of the best courses in the country. I've got to admit, I don't really like care too much for rankings. I don't really care about where something's placed or or otherwise. I kind of um someone who prefers to like be with good people rather than playing the best course. Um, I'd rather play the worst course in the world with the best people uh, than play the best course in the world with the worst people. So um, I kind of am part of these groups from a kind of networking kind of perspective rather than like really wanting to go and like play all these courses and tick off all the top hundreds it's not something i'm really that interested in so um i think like anyone can really get into these groups so of course obviously the ones where you have to be a member of the top 100 course those are obviously hard to get into if you're not a member of one of those but some like, things like the racdg um and other kind of groups that kind of form um through the no laying up kind of um, website and, and kind of forums and otherwise it's definitely kind of easy and accessible and I think one of the points of the the RACVG actually is to make it as accessible as possible for me people to meet other people who are interested in golf um, and not just on the kind of YouTube and Instagram comments of kind of kind of major brands who post content um, and, and kind of other forums so I think like I'm someone who naturally is like quite a good networker, someone who kind of understands that network is, networking is a bit of like mostly um, tech and mostly give and, and a little bit of take. I actually don't rarely go back and say to people like, let's go play your course now. I actually host quite a lot of people. So 
last year I, I don't know how many people I hosted but each one of them received a customary muffin from um, as part of uh, coming along so um, I, I do tend to host quite a lot of people and, and not really ask for much in return and that's just my kind of MO when it comes to golf and networking but I think if anyone can do it just have to be like kind of just be yourself don't try to be anything you're not and um, you should should get along just fine yeah I mean uh, what what I've taken from because I started the a TikTok page probably about a year ago, and I've met quite a few people through that who I've either hosted or they've hosted me. But but pre, maybe prior to actually, I guess building my my golf network, which sounds very wanky, but basically what it is, um, I I actually probably would have been more on the I want to play the top one hundred kind of side of the fence. But what I've realised is. The best thing about playing golf with, mem- for example, members of top 100 golf courses is it's not that easy to become a member of a top 100 golf course. So you've generally got to be pretty interested in golf. And at some point, unless you kind of just fell into it, in, in which case you've probably got a history in golf, you generally have to be, golf has to be beca- become or be quite an important part of your life to actually become a member of a top 100 course because they're so competitive to get into these days unless they're in the middle of nowhere. Um, so I've I've played some great rounds this year already with with guys I would just never never normally come across at fantastic golf courses, but they're all they all have that kind of golf IQ, and and these people you just don't run into on a very uh, frequent basis outside of of this kind of network that we we're both trying to build up for ourselves. Um, so I highly recommend anyone who is really interested in golf and wants to to get to know more golf nerds for example um to look into things like the royal and ancient society of dishonorable golfers if i got that right um because yeah it's great fun um there's nothing to lose really um apart from your health from eating the massive sausage egg whatever the hell muffin that was that you you bought me in little stone because that was quite sizable i don't know what you're on about michael health is uh, I I am the definition of health, so I don't, <laughs> don't quite know what you're insinuating there. Well, that's probably because you play 36 holes a day, so you know you couldn't you burn enough all those muffins. They're not yeah, muffins. Yeah, I, I used don't... to. So my health, health, I may not now be the. I might, I might now not be the definition of health as I as I once was. <laughs> okay, so um, last question. Talk to us a little bit about your app um where can when can people find it what can they expect to see if they they visit it sure so um last year i developed like a website to track all the open turns because there are kind of i won't i won't give them the credit they deserve but there are there are um uh websites out there that if you type in any golf club it will come up and uh, you know say that if you want to play an open competition in these at this this place um and you know they you know they have been the long standing in the market the only one who indexes all of these opens put them out in a kind of accessible form that actually is very very good it just could be better so i kind of designed an app just for myself for all the opens i wanted to play and ended up playing 23 of them last year but uh, i probably had about 200 on there and they were only individual men 36 hole opens but later on, people kind of were interested, like heard kind of my story about playing loads of opens and wanted to know what other opens they could play in. So I included in formal, like kind of team events at, at top 100 courses. Um, a lot of them aren't 36 holes. Most of them are only 18 holes. And so included that and, and shared that kind of round. The website was like, basically, you couldn't use it on a work laptop, it would say that like, they're sending a message to your HR services saying that you're kind of looking at something that you shouldn't be doing. So I had a bit of a lull between obviously quitting my PhD and starting my job about two months. And a big shout out to kind of uh, Rod Thomas for kind of like hit, linking me up with this uh, coding mentor called Chris Charlton. And together we kind of designed this app which was essentially it's a web app. So it's not on the app store. Um, there are reasons for that. 
it's it's essentially what's different to kind of what's out there is that you can kind of favorite your own poems and kind of get a list of them um, and there are kind of other features I want to develop as well, but uh, haven't had the time to since started working. Um, but it's not on the App Store, but the way you can download it is if you, you know, kind of go to my profile, you can download, uh, you can look at the kind of um, Google Doc that I've kind of set up. It has all the instructions there. Uh, it has a link to the group chat if you wanted to join that as well. Um, and gives you kind of like all the information you need to start kind of, and you can get the app on your phone. It's just like a kind of, different way it's kind of like a um and it becomes like a bit of a native app um although it's downloaded from the web so you can get it on your phone and you can use it and it is updated one of the things that the other kind of com other competitors i can call them uh, don't do is uh, uh, kind of show you quite clearly when things were last updated so i have a kind of last updated and on the group chat kind of provide a little bit of a service to people saying when the next opens are open and available to book uh, which um, I think has been largely appreciated by um, people who have been in that group. So I think um, I think yeah, that's probably um, most I can say. I'd love to like do more on the app um, and might enlist uh, Michael's services um, as he becomes a, a software in, uh, developing aficionado um, <laughs> to help me out with some stuff. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a great great little project and. Uh, it's, it definitely serves its purpose and more i'd love to do more things to it and maybe turn it into something one day but for now it's just kind of a side project that keeps me occupied on those uh those evening nights um when i can't play golf after work <laughs> well i i had to go on it and i did it on my phone and it and it worked great um exactly what it says on the tin it just really quickly gives you a list of the opens got a couple of useful filters um, all very low drama. So I'll put a, I'll put a link to your Instagram, um, and if you give if you message me at any URLs you want me to put in the show notes, I'll do that. So if anyone's interested in playing some opens in twenty twenty three or beyond, make sure you check out uh, the app. Have you decided on a name for it yet? Is it is it Opens app or what? What are you thinking there? Have you branded? I think it's called the Opens Golfer. Indeed. Well, cool. Well, people check it out. Put the details in the show notes. Absolutely. And that pretty much brings us to, to time, I think, Dan. You've been a fantastic and articulate guest. Guest, I think um, my talent scouting abilities are, yeah, are, are are getting better, even though I don't know if I spotted you or if you actually kind of volunteered. And I was like, oh, actually, this open stuff is quite interesting. And you've been a fascinating guest from my point of view anyway. So hopefully people will enjoy the podcast. I just want to give you a chance to shout out any Instagram handles you may have. Yeah, I just, I mean, I just, my main one, I think like, you know, it's just uh, DH, DH Naxi, uh, So yeah, if you, if you want to check that out, you can, you can do so. I've got another one, which I think is called Open Golfer that I might start using. I'll send the link across to you, uh, Michael. That might be the better one to, to plug. Um, and uh, you can kind of find the app and stuff in the bio of that 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 uh, uh, that one there. But um, yeah, I, I a lot of my journey, people follow my journey through kind of WhatsApp and such. So if you wanted to really follow the journey, I think uh, joining that kind of WhatsApp opens WhatsApp chat is probably your your best bet to uh, to figure out how we how we get on for this year. All right, awesome, Daniel. Well, it's great to chat, and we're going to meet up again. Uh, at some point fairly soon to play at Hollandwell. So um, I'm going to see you, yeah. see you fairly soon. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And listeners, have a nice drive to the driving range or wherever you're going, uh, and we will catch you this time.